Well, good morning. Um, I hope you have joy in your heart. Uh, I, I love that. That's one of our little preschoolers. Her name is Kennedy, who is um, caught doing that song and singing and expressing her joy. And if you know that song, it talks about having joy, joy that it's down in your heart and down in your heart. It says it a couple times, it says where, and then finally says down in your heart to stay. And I'm guessing, as adorable as Kennedy is, that there are probably times where she loses her joy and could even throughout that day possibly maybe having to take a nap or maybe having to eat vegetables or it could be that her brother Carter has a toy she wants. Who knows what it would be? But with a little child, you kind of go, you see the rides of the joy and the extremes of the, the sense of just frustration and anger and sadness and and yet if you look at our own lives sometimes I would think a lot of times we might be like little kids where we ride this roller coaster of of joy and excitement and we have good things that have happened and we're excited about something God maybe has done in our life or or something that has turned in our favor, whatever it might be. And then it could be just later in the day or later in the week things change and what was this ecstatic wonderful experience of joy um, turns to sadness. Well, what we're going to look at is kind of that million-dollar question. How do you get joy, joy down in your heart to stay? What is it that creates the kind of mindset and faith that allows for joy to be an expression of your life? Uh, the Apostle Paul, at one point in his letter to Rome, said, For the kingdom of God... It's not a matter of rules about food and drink, but it is in the realm of the Holy Spirit filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. Serving Jesus, the anointed one, by walking in these kingdom realities pleases God and earns the respect of others. Well, in that verse, it, it kind of says what it means for us to walk as people who live with a sense of joy. And how do you do that? How do you get joy in your heart to stay? And it's really about building a mindset. And that's what I want us to look at today because we begin this first leg of the journey. We looked a few weeks ago at Exodus chapter 15 where they were ecstatic with joy. They had just gone through the Red Sea. They had seen the armies of, of, of Egypt defeated and Pharaoh, their, their nemesis, this ruler, this this slave driver, he has been defeated, and now they're filled with joy, and they're singing about that joy, and then they begin their journey. So follow the journey with me. It says in Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 27, Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved into the desert of Shur. They traveled in the desert for three days without finding any water, and when they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink, so they called the place Mara, which means bitter. And then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. As it goes on, it was there then at Mara that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to the tech, to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases 
I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And leaving Mara, the Israelites traveled onto the oasis of Elim, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there beside the water. Here they are. They're beginning their journey. They have just left one of the most incredible things that has ever happened in their life. They have seen water parted, and they have seen themselves saved, and they're walking on. It would be as if, can you imagine um, when you think of that, it'd be as if someone came up this week with a, a, a some kind of vaccine for the coronavirus that was able to be delivered to everybody within a few weeks. I mean, we would there would be ecstatic joy and people would be thrilled. But I just asked myself, if that was to happen, how long would that joy last? Would it last a few weeks, a few months? Would within a year, it would be at something in our history? If you look at Exodus chapter 15, 22, it says, And Moses and the people, they, they were led away from the Red Sea and they moved into the desert of Shur. And they traveled in the desert for three days without finding any water. So the first day they have no water and still they're kind of high-fiving people. And second day they're getting a thirsty. And third day they're, they're beginning to die of thirst. The water that they had for that part of the journey is pretty much gone as they're walking through this wilderness, this, this hot kind of desert-like land. And in just three days, think about it, three days they had lost their joy. One of the things that we're going to learn as we travel with this group of followers of God called Israel is that in life, it is a journey, and in this journey of life, you will lose your joy along the way. So as we begin to talk about how do you maintain, how do you establish, how do you become a person where the joy is in your heart and it stays, one of the things to come to grips with is that joy seems to ebb and flow. And part of what God realizes, God is the one who says, I'm going to teach you how to live in faith so that you can express this joy. Only three days, and they've gone from victory to joy, and they're grumbling and mumbling, because joy based on our latest victory never lasts. I'm tempted to judge them, and you could be too. Kind of like, three days, you got to be kidding. In three days, you've lost the excitement and joy of what has just happened? And, and then just a few days back, last Tuesday, after I had given a message on this in Exodus 15 about finding your source of joy in God, I'm at a place where I'm struggling with joy. And, and that could be true for a lot of you. I mean, it is easy to lose joy along the way. One of the things I just want to say that is um, something you can do in this time, something that I just was really grateful for. This last week I had a couple people who reached out, um, people from the church who I don't usually hear from, and just said, how are you doing? I just challenge you to think about it right now because we're in one of those seasons where it's really easy to lose joy. I challenge you to think about, is there someone, maybe just in your mind right now, or write down a piece of paper and say, here's someone I'm just going to reach out to, someone who could be lonely, someone who could be in a place where they've lost their joy. Because in life, as we journey along, you will lose your joy. Every leg of life in this journey that we have will reveal what is truly the source of our joy. So when you come in those times when you lose your joy, it's a great opportunity just to ask yourself, okay, where is the source of my joy? What does it mean for me to learn to live in that joy? There's a difference. We talk about happiness happens. Here's something you need to understand if you want joy. Joy requires effort. 
It doesn't come the easy way like happiness does from our circumstances. It actually takes work. It takes growth. You have to say, God, no matter what I see, no matter what I feel, no matter what I'm experiencing, I'm going to trust you in this. I'm going to trust the fact that you're at work. And that's one of the things they'll find in this whole journey, all the way along. You don't see God in the first part of this journey really too upset with them because he's treating them like children. They've got the joy, joy. They're singing like little Kennedy. And he recognizes that this is a journey. And for you and for me, life is a journey where he's teaching us the kind of faith that allows us to live in joy. We sing about joy. We we sing songs about joy. But the establishment and making of joy in our hearts, something that lasts, is something that takes place through a journey. So as you think about this, what what will you focus on as your source of joy? What is it that you look to? When you come to those places, you need to kind of say, God, I need to I need to once again say, what is it that my eyes are looking towards? What am I focusing on? If you look at the verse again in verse 15, chapter 15, verse 22, it says, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went to the desert of Shur. What I find interesting about this is that God doesn't take them directly to the promised land. God took them on a journey through the wilderness. In fact, if you remember in the story we we read back, it said that at one point, as they're leaving the, the land of Egypt, God tells Moses not to take the shortcut, but to go the longer route. You see, there's three basic routes through the wilderness. One was a short one right up to Philistia. And God said to him in Exodus chapter 13, 17, in this verse, he said, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead the people along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. You see, for, for, for God, it was clear they didn't have yet the faith established. He knew that they would lose their joy along the route. And he knew that each leg of the journey, he would be building faith into them, what would allow for them to put their source of joy in God and find their joy from God. And so when you look at as they leave, you find a, a, an important principle that, it, that you find throughout life. Life is journey and it takes time to grow in joy. It just takes time. No one finds God and then is immediately made perfect. Most of the people who are new in their faith, who come to a faith in Christ for the first time or begin to follow God, have no idea the trip that God has planned for them. I had no idea when I first received Christ and really began to walk out this life and, and, and follow him. I had no idea the type of work he would do to bring inner healing to my heart and to begin to establish a new sense of who he is and who I am, and my own identity in him. And that just takes time. The theological terms for this is it's salvation doesn't go right to glorification. There's a process in between called sanctification. And so in this journey, you will lose your joy. But in this journey, you have to recognize it takes time to grow in joy. So one of the things I would just say is God is more than willing to help you. He is going to heal you and do the things that need to be done to help you grow in joy. And I just want you to to recognize that as you're walking and you find yourself in the up and downs, I think as you continue to follow the Lord Jesus, and you can talk to people who have walked with the Lord for a while, they'll tell you that as they grew in their faith and they grew in their understanding of who God is, and they began to understand who they truly were in him, 
their, their joy began to be regulated because it was not so much in experiences and things about them or how things are going, but it began to be sourced more in who God really was for them and what God was promised when he said he was going to go with them, what he would do for them and, and be with them. The Exodus experience is this, is this crossing of the Red Sea where you get this idea that he, they're saved. Israel saves as they go through the Red Sea. They're physically set free. They're no longer slaves to the Egyptian masters. But it took this journey in the wilderness to set them free from the wounds and attitudes and mindsets, the beliefs that they had of captivity. A person can be set free from a life of abuse or from a life of, of um, bondage, yet it takes years often for them to move away from the kind of wounds that have occurred in there. It takes time for them to begin to understand the attitudes that have developed, and it takes time for them to understand the beliefs that they have based all this in. I am... Um, a number of years ago, when our kids were little, we decided, let's get a dog. And so we went and we looked around. We finally got this dog, a little dog named Shelby. She was a little Sheltie collie dog. And one of the things that kind of bothered me a bit was that I was the one who really wanted a dog with the kids. You know how it is in a, in, in a home. And my wife was kind of like, yeah, okay, dogs usually stay outside. But this dog was a dog we we're going to have in the house. And I was excited about it being in the house. But the dog wouldn't come to me. And didn't come to men. In fact, when I would raise my hand, it would, it would go like this. And it took years for that dog to recognize when I went to raise his hand, I went to pet it and not to hit it. Somehow, and my guess would be at some point in its life, it had moved into a place where it had, it had been um, handled by people who were abusive. And it just took time. You see, what's happening, this whole wilderness mindset is that, that God is trying to develop within them this the mindset of, of, of faith and, and trust in who he is, is the whole process is, is you have to recognize is that God is taking us from one place and bringing us to a new place. He has a land that he's promised for us. God set them physically free from the Egyptian oppressor. Now God was going to set them free from a slave mindset. God had to renew their minds with the truth of who he is and who they were in him. And in the same process that this dog that we had that took, took time, um, a couple of years where it began, it finally had such a sense that it trusted us, that, that that almost disappeared. See, their character wasn't ready for the future God had planned for them. The wilderness journey was God's training ground. It was kind of like a boot camp. So what we're going through is here's a boot camp where we understand that life is a journey, we'll lose our joy. It's not that God wants us to, but that's what happens. And then as we go through it, we see it takes time for us to grow in joy. Because one of the things that God has to do in this journey that we're on is he has to heal wounds, he has to deal with attitudes, and he has to deal with um, beliefs that, that allow those attitudes and, and create, and that come from those wounds. So if you look at Exodus chapter fifteen twenty two. It says, for three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. Now, that's not um, an accident. Moses led the people, but Moses was being led by a cloud in the front. And it says the angel of the Lord was there leading them all the way. And so, in a sense, Moses led them, but Moses was just following the, the, the direction of God. So God leads them to this place, and he leads them to a place of lack. Because part of lack and part of coming into circumstances that are not pleasant or where we come to points where we find out we don't have the resources we think we need, our lack allows for God 
to point our hearts to him where our fullness is. And so they come to this place and um, God uses their lack in order they might find their fullness in him and they'll turn to him. Another way to put it is this. What you think is keeping you from joy might actually be what God is using to get your attention so that he can fill you with lasting joy within your heart. So what you think is keeping you from joy might actually be the lack that you're experiencing, the the circumstances you're in, might actually be the, the things that God is actually using to turn your heart to him. Life's a journey, and it is a process that, that God says that through it, he's going to heal us of these wounds that, that have occurred in our life. If you look at what happens here in, in, in Exodus chapter 15, verses 25, uh, 23 and 24, it says, when they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink, so they called the place Marah, which means bitter. See, one of the things that they were coming up against that I think God was revealing to them um, in, in, a, in a real way was um, it wasn't just the water that was bitter. It wasn't just water that they needed. There was something within them that needed to be healed as well. And God used their lack to point out something deep within their hearts that needed healing. Their stomach revealed the wound that was really in their spirit. Because after 400 years of slavery, they needed to release their bitterness. They wouldn't be in a place to have the kind of faith they need unless these wounds were healed. And so God brings them to this place, and, and bitterness often is something that is is the result of an injury or something that has occurred that over a period of time grows. And so for 400 years, there has been a bitterness that has probably been growing up in the people, and God is bringing them to a place to allow them to taste, in a sense, and sense what's actually going on in their own heart. I was on a walk with my wife just the other day, and I, I'm sure some of you get a lot more time walking together, uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. That's one of the things I'm grateful for. But as we were walking, she said, you know, if someone points out something and you're actually willing to see it, you know, something that's not necessarily a, a positive thing, they point out something negative and you're willing to see it and name it, it actually can be quite freeing. And I, I got thinking about that. It's really true. If, if someone points out something and you don't defend it or deny it, but you actually look at it and go, wow, maybe that's real. And if it is, then what do I need to do about it? For instance, let's say a person who is somewhat angry and you say, man, I, I don't know. What are you so angry about? And they go, I'm not angry. You've had that experience. And I'm not angry. And then, and then you go, well, okay. And yet there's a sense if they could see it and they were able to acknowledge it, they would be able to name it and as a result of naming it, begin to deal with it. That's really kind of what's going on here. A person who, let's say, is insecure, same kind of thing. If you can name it, if you can see it and name it, then you're able to do something about it. And, and God was actually saying that in our lives, there's things that, that are wounds that create attitudes that are based on beliefs that aren't accurate about who God is and what's going on. And those wounds need to be healed before you can ever experience the kind of faith and joy that, that releases God's work in you. There is this sense that he's saying we leave a whole lot of stuff unnamed in our life. And it's the power of transformation that comes when you're able to look at it, kind of taste it and go, yeah, that's true about me. And then you're able to name it. It may be that you're in that period where God is dealing with a wound in your lack and, and it's coming up and it's right up in the surface. 
And it may be one of those opportunities where God is coming along saying, this is part of the journey that I came for you because I want to heal you in this. I want, I want you to, to be able to see it. I want you to be able to own it. I want you to be able to name it because I want to heal it. If you go on, you'll see the attitudes that are exposed from this. You get into Acts 15, verse 24, the last part. It says, then the people complained and turned against Moses. When are we going to drink, they demanded. The people complained. They were ungrateful and helpless. They're almost whining in a sense. And have you ever heard, you know, whining or complaining? Really, it, it reveals something about us. Whining is how helpless victims react. It reveals an attitude that your master is a tyrant who does not care about your needs. They still saw Moses because indirectly they couldn't blame God, but they blame Moses for where they're at. And their attitude was betraying, in a sense, what they believed really about God. Think about it. When you complain and you grumble or you mumble or you whine, you're just indirectly calling God a tyrant who doesn't care about you. That sounds harsh. But really think about it a second. You think of kids who are whining. Kids whine because they feel frustrated because they can't do something or they believe they can't do something about their needs. And that's what this whole group of people were. For years they lived wounded with this bitterness and they complained and they moaned and they, mum- they mumbled and they, they were um, whining And what I think is really interesting is is you really separate the question. There's nothing wrong with their question. It's really about the attitude that's behind it. Their question is fine. It can be after three days, you're really thirsty, and someone came up to you and just said, you know, boy, without water, what are we going to do? What are we going to have to drink? Where are we going to get water? But it wasn't that. It was, oh, this complaining. And it, it, it basically revealed this deeper sense of belief of what they thought about God. And do you carry beliefs that need to be healed? I mean, think about it. There's wounds, wounds that um, when, when they're not dealt with, they create attitudes that are based in beliefs about you, what you really think about God. And God needed to heal this. And I think it's really interesting. God doesn't get mad at them. He doesn't get angry. He realizes he's growing them up. And in many ways, God might be just growing you up in some beliefs. If you look at um, Exodus chapter 15, verse 25, as it goes on, uh, you get this interesting verse. I like what happens here. I love this story. Um, Moses shows him what the kind of belief you need to have that moves to attitudes where instead of coming where you're you're kind of feeling this sense of God's tyrant who doesn't care about you, you begin to start to experience a God who loves you and reveals himself to you in deeper ways. Because your lack has the ability to show God in ways you've never seen him before. So in Exodus 15, 25, it says, So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. Or some versions will say sweet. In those days, wells were um, had chemicals and things in it, and it's actual. Um, some of the studies they found is that there are certain kinds of wood that it gets thrown and can actually cause the water to be sweetened. So Moses, he's in the journey, this journey, doesn't know what to do about this water, and he he shows them the pathway to joy. 
Life for Moses has been a journey, and Moses has learned through this journey the pathway to joy. Now, you have to remember, Moses is 80 years old, and so in many ways, he's a model to all these children. See, it wasn't until 40, which gives a lot of people a lot of help, but it wasn't until 40 that Moses actually began the journey himself. And so this path is really simple, but making it and establishing it is difficult because it is a renewing of your mind. There is a new course that you have to take. Instead of the reaction to the wound that creates attitudes that are based on certain beliefs, God is going to change the beliefs so it changes the attitude and he's going to heal the wounds so that now through this new approach, as you begin to turn to God, he begins to work into your life. He begins to work in your life the ability to know that you are you are with a God who loves you and you are his son and his daughter. You are not a slave. You're not, you don't have to live with a slave mindset. You don't have to live with a victim mindset. You don't have to move to complaining. You can actually come to God and say, God, right now I need water. Or right now, God, our financial situation is this. Or right now, God, I'm really struggling with with a relative. Whatever it might be, there's the opportunity to learn a new path, but it isn't easy. And so that's why I've said all the way through this, life is a journey. You will lose your joy. That's just what happens through this whole process. But there will be the opportunity to grow in your joy when you begin to realize what these things that are in your life that create the wounds that have been that are that you've um, has been developed or has has happened in your life that need to be named and owned and dealt with that lead to attitudes that that are reflective of what you really believe about your God. And now Moses, I love it. He does three things. He turns to God. He cries out to Him. Which you have to ask yourself, who do you cry out to? When you get into those situations, who do you cry out to? When I feel like uh, uh, something like a wound that's been that's been hit by my my wife or someone else, I expect her. I, I'm looking towards her, or I look towards other people to be the ones to kind of supply what's missing. And Moses turned to God in prayer, and then he it says. He listened to the Lord. It says the Lord showed him, which means he turned to God, and God, they were in conversation together. The Lord showed him a piece of wood. It's really a tree is, is really what the, the Hebrew word is. And, and, and the word show is actually the word Torah, which is, for those of you who have been in the faith for any time period, the Torah is those five books of Moses, the books of the law. They talk about the Torah. And the word showed would really better be translated directed. It's, it's almost as if the Lord toward a piece of wood, uh, him towards a piece of wood. It's important because the word Torah means teaching. And it's often just thought of as a collection of laws and statutes, dry commands. I mean, you read like Psalms, he goes, oh, your, your, your law is better than life. It's sweet. It's honeycombs. And you kind of go, yeah, I remember I read that and go, really? Until you begin to understand that in God's word, he can speak to you. If your heart is open, God can speak to you whenever you cry to him. You could cry out to him, and it could be as you're walking along, he might, through his voice, speak to you. He might Torah direction to you. It will always be consistent with the word of God. But here's what's going on with Moses. He turns to God. He listens. God Torah is something he's going to give him in a book form later. He Torahs him in a direction and says, this is what you need to meet your need. And then the third thing, he obeys God. I mean, he could have sat there and said, man, really, 
throw a tree in the water. They're going to think I'm nuts. But he does what God tells him to do. Because in obedience comes joy. In obedience, there is this new revelation of who God is. There's the opportunity for God to bless you. And what you see God do next, I think, is really interesting. It's almost as if God says, did you see what Moses did to the people? Do that. Life is a journey, and there's a path to joy. It's turning to me in the sense when you have a time of lack. It means listening to me and and then obeying and doing what I tell you to do. Listen to verses 25 through 26. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. When you come up to a place of lack and you lose your joy, that is a perfect time. It's a sign. It's an opportunity for you to acknowledge and to name it and say, God, um, I need to pay attention to what's going on right now. It's an opportunity for God to show himself in your time of lack. It says he sets it as a standard of faithfulness to him. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then he adds this little word, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians. I think he's basically saying, in obedience you'll find blessing. When you obey, you'll find that God will do good things for you in your life. He'll open up doors. He'll, he'll, he'll allow for there to be favor in other things in your life. It, it's as simple as saying, you know what, right now in this whole coronavirus stuff, there's been, you know, wash your hands a lot. We know washing your hands is a good thing, right? I mean, doctors do it before surgeries, even before all this stuff was going on. We found out at a certain time, clean hands creates better conditions. God is basically saying, if you do what I say, it'll create better conditions. It's as simple as that. If you will turn to me, listen to me, and then follow me, you won't experience the things that come when you walk in your own flesh and disobedience. So follow that pathway to joy and blessing, God says. Um, Exodus 3 1527, and then it says, after leaving Mara, the Israelites traveled to the oasis of Elim, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there beside the water. And it's this um, continued picture that as they, as they go through this journey, they now, as they see God meet their lack and they experience it, they also experience his blessing. And, and it's I mean, think about it. They travel, they get to this place, and there's 12 springs. And there's 70 palm trees. 12 springs is significant in one sense, just because there's 12 tribes. So every tribe is going to have a spring, basically. And 70 palm trees, it's just if you're in the desert, to have something that gives you shade is amazing. There's a place of shade for people to get out of the sun. But there's more than that. If you read and, and understand um, the depths of some of the things in the Bible, the number 12 is an interesting thing because if you read in Genesis chapter 46, 27, it says that the 12 brothers went into Egypt and it says there as well, and, and now um, 70 people in all. 
So there's 12 and 70, and there's almost a sense of what the writer of this story is trying to say is, not only will you come into these springs and things will be good out here, but it will also give you a picture of your God who takes 12 people in a time of lack, then brings them to Egypt. They are only 70 in all, and now they're leaving as an entire army. This is the faithfulness of your God. He has blessed you even in the midst of those really rotten circumstances. And he's leading you to a promised land. He has a destination for you. And, and here's, the, here's one of the things to think about here. His destination for the people of Israel wasn't just a land. There was something much deeper that they, the reason why he said go through the wilderness is because the destination he had for them was something he needed to do in their character. They would never have the faith to trust and believe for what God was going to give them to, to actually be able to take that land, to move into their future, if they didn't go through this time of testing. They needed to go through this. God's destination for you, it isn't just heaven someday. We're not living here just hoping, oh, I'll get to heaven someday. God's destination for you is to build within each of us as a church a faith, a faith that can be established in such a way that it actually begins to live out heaven here. It actually begins to release the work of God here. Most of us get caught up in the works of God and our joy is out here. And God says, I want to make a work out of you and it has to come from here. And I will use your lack right now that you're experiencing to unveil for you wounds that need to be healed because of the attitudes they create because they're based on beliefs that are not accurate. And guess what? I'll do that. That's what he says here. I love this. You've got to go back to this um, verse again. And, and I'll kind of close with this. But you look again at that last verse in Exodus chapter 26. He says, if you'll do this, if you'll kind of do what Moses did... Turn to me, listen to me, follow me, and you will do this as a pattern. I will establish faith in you because you will go from lack to lack. You will lose your joy. But over time, it will grow and it will become steady. But here's what I want you to know. You won't experience all the crummy stuff that, yeah, you'll, you'll experience trials just like people do on this earth. But you will begin to, do, to have the ability to be over an overcomer, knowing that you're a son or daughter, that you're loved by the Father, that the, the Father is going to care for you through it all. And then he makes this claim. He says, I will not allow you to have what happened to the Egyptians, but for I am the Lord who heals you. And the last thing, life is a journey in the greatest joy that you will you will find in this life is a deeper revelation of God's love for you. You will have a personal encounter with God. Your lack sets you up for an opportunity to experience God in a way that you've never experienced him before. If you're willing to turn to him, listen to him, and follow him. And then it'll set you up for a life of not just experience of one revelation, but revelation upon revelation upon revelation of who your God is. And he will begin to, over time, take you. Because he doesn't do it instantly. He didn't take them right to the land. He knew they couldn't do it. He knew he needed to bring them through the wilderness. He will take you over time. And he will begin to start establishing in your heart the kind of faith that releases the kind of life that is filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. And it will please God. And others will look at it and say, that's the kind of life that I'd like. Now, I just think about it. Um, Moses was 80, and he modeled this. Some of you are in a point 
where God wants you to, to live this and model this out. Some of you need to look for people who are around you who are models and begin to tap into their, their life and what they've learned. If you come to this last verse, he says, For I am the Lord who heals you. He reveals again the name of God, who is the source of joy. We have just seen when we were in Exodus 15, he says, the Lord is a warrior who fights for you. So they've, they've got a new picture of God there. The Lord, it says again, is a shepherd who leads you. And then it says, the Lord is a king who rules forever. Now there's a new name revealed. There's a new encounter with God. Here is a God who will heal you. He will take all that you are right where you are, and he will make you into the person that he's always desired that you would know and be. And that's God's desire. And the wilderness is like that. The wilderness is, it's an interesting word. He brings him into the desert or the wilderness. The, the actual root word for wilderness is the word to speak. Because it's in your lack that often God will speak to you. It's in your lack that God comes to you with a new revelation. When I was reading this and studying this, um, I... I came across the, the first place the desert of shore is mentioned is in Genesis 16. It's an interesting story. Um, Abraham and Sarah are seeking to have a child. Sarah says, take my handmaiden Hagar, and, and Abraham does, and she becomes pregnant, and Sarah's not happy now about that and makes life difficult for Hagar. Hagar, as she's pregnant, she runs away. And she runs and it says, here's what it says in Genesis 16. Hagar runs away. And it says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in this desert. It was the spring on the road to the desert of Shur. And what is interesting is that God finds you. He might right now, because of what you've heard today, found you in, in a place where you find yourself in lack. And that's what Hagar was. She was, she was running. She was, she thought her life was over. And the angel finds her. And then, and then it says that, that the angel of the Lord met with her and she came away from that experience and he told her to go back and she went back. And at that place, she named the Lord. She gave him the name, the Lord who sees me. The Lord who sees me. He saw me all along. He saw me when he was running. He saw me and found me. God sees you. And I believe God's found you. And I believe that God would love for you to just open your heart, humble yourself, take him in and say, God, I'm going to turn to you in this situation. And if it's a wound or if it's attitudes or whatever it is, I'm going to allow you to heal me. That's my prayer for you. You know what? I just want you to be thinking about how is God revealing himself to you on this leg of your journey? We're going to play a song in a moment. If you want to, while the song is being played, if you want to just kind of write in how God's revealing himself, maybe the God who sees you, the God who's been faithful, or the God who provides, I don't know what it is. But you may be in a situation where you're seeing a new revelation of God in your life right now. And you might be able to write some things that encourage others who are watching. But we're going to play a song for you that, that talks about this God who is the one who provides. He is the one when you're in lack, when you've tried everything. And then you turn to him and you find your fullness in him.